0: Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omer Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. This episode is a story about a guy who wrote down an idea for a product in Evernote with no plan on what he was going to do about it. What he didn't realize at the time was that he just planted a seed for a new business that he was going to build. And for the next few months, he played around with the idea, hacked together a prototype over a weekend, but didn't really see it any more than a side project. Today, five years later, that idea that he wrote in Evernote, has grown into a business that's generating several million dollars in revenue and has over 70 employees. It's a great story and we'll share what my guest did to turn that idea into a product and business. We'll look at one thing that he wished he'd done differently, which I think will be great advice for anyone in the early days of building their product uh, and business. And we talk about what he still struggles with today despite the success he's had. So I think you'll like this. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? to help you tackle those early stage challenges and grow your business to seven figures and beyond. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sasclub.io slash newsletter and join over 4,000 other SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already using these insights to grow their businesses. Subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today and get the support you need to keep moving forward on your SaaS journey. All right. Today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of Contactually a CRM tool which helps you turn relationships into results. My guest is a software developer and entrepreneur who founded Contactually in 2011 and he's grown it into a multi-million dollar business with over 70 employees. The company is based in Washington DC and to date has raised over $12 million in funding. So today I'd like to welcome Svi Band to the show. Svi, welcome.
1: Homer, thanks so much for having me. And more importantly, we're off to the right start. You have pronounced my name correctly. We're, this is going to be great. I can tell
0: it. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a relief. <laughs> All right, good. So let's um, let, let's uh, start by talking a little bit about you and what drives you. Uh, some people like to share a favorite quote. Some people just like to to sort of just share a little bit about their mindset. So what drives you to do what you do?
1: The- Core driving belief that I approach everything in life, um, and this is something I've really developed over the past ten years, is you go condensed down to two words: no regrets. That everything I do, and you know, you can obviously read more like about Jeff Bezos's um, regret minimization framework, etc. For me, I want to make sure, and I guide my life by making sure that I have no regrets in what I do or what I don't do. And that's really guided all the key decisions in my life.
0: Give me an example of that, because obviously there's there's kind of like the big decisions, like saying I'm going to go and take this idea and launch a startup, and because I don't want to be you know 80 years old looking back and thinking, I wish I had done that, or I regret not having done that, but. What about on a day-to-day basis? Do you find that there are like daily decisions that you make, uh, you know, based on the sort of the no regret principle?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think one one of the core things for an entrepreneur to embrace is the acceptance of failure or the welcoming of failure. But it's actually really hard on a day by day basis to actually practice that. And so for me, you know, as as we look towards major strategic decisions which come up every day or initiatives that we want to try, there's always this push to like obviously that push to kind of push back against, you know, well let's just kind of, you know, let's kind of maintain the status quo, let's do what we're doing. And I always have to catch myself in my head going, if we don't do this, I'm always going to regret not trying it. And so even like minute tasks like that every single day Um, or at the same time, you know, as an entrepreneur, there's so many distractions. You know, I used to go to tons of like different random events and I'd get invited to all these like cool social things. And I stopped going to a lot of them because I realized I would go to them and I'd walk in the door. I'm like, I regret this. I'd rather be building my business right now. And so now that, you know, that even defines how I structure my day and my calendar.
0: I love it. Love it. Um, I want to sort of get into talking about how you came up with the idea for this business. But before we get into that, can you, in your own words, help the audience understand a little bit more about contactually, Who are your target customers? Uh, What problem are you trying to help them solve? And CRM, you know, there's no shortage of CRM products out there. So I'm curious to know what is it that makes Contactually different from other products?
1: Absolutely. Well, let's start at the high level. Let's start with the why, right? Because I'm sure that, you know, you've seen like, you know, you've read some Simon Sinek's talks. And if you haven't, there's an amazing TED talk about kind of the start with why. The why of Contactually is we believe that the best businesses in the world are built upon personal and authentic relationships with clients and partners. And as a business owner, one of the things that I very quickly realized is that the relationships I had in my life were a critical component of my business and my, and my, and my life in general. And maintaining those is a big challenge. So what actually offers is we're a relationship marketing platform that helps professionals in relationship-driven companies stay engaged with key relationships. So, for example, I – use it to make sure that I'm staying engaged with my clients, my investors, our key influencers, a real estate agent gets 85% of their business from people in their network already. So they're able to nurture those relationships to gain repeat and referral business. You know, the the applications of contacts are endless. The core thing is we know that relationships are an incredibly important asset and you act, absolutely have to do something every single day to maintain those. To address the second part of your question, um, yes, CRMs are a dime a dozen. What we saw though, and this is kind of you know, going to the classic entrepreneurial issue, you know, going back to kind of my story, I saw that you know, my business issue should have been solved by using a CRM. But at the end of the day, the CRMs that are out on the market, while they're incredibly powerful, they're built for managing a sales pipeline, managing a transaction. And they require a lot of work and a lot of manual data entry. What I needed and what I saw others needed was something that was really built from the ground up, not only just to help the user, but to help the user nurture those key relationships. And so everything we've built in Contactually from the automatic email and calendar ingestion to the really strong contact database automatically built for you to the follow-up reminders when a relationship is starting to go cold is all about helping you figure out who you need to talk to, when you need to talk to them, and what you need to say.
0: Give me one example of of some of the things you described there in terms of how Contactually would, would help me with managing my relationships?
1: Absolutely. So uh, let's, let's actually kind of go back to maybe kind of my story. So before this, I was a, you know, I was CTO of an enterprise software startup that was acquired back in 2009. But then I was consulting for about four years. And as a consultant, most of my business came via my reputation and my network. But what I saw is that I would meet someone for coffee and then two weeks later, completely forget who they were. Or I would be, or I, I was so focused on the next client project or the top one percent of my inbox that I wouldn't realize that it had been three months since I spoke to one of my past clients. And so, what Contactually does on a daily on a daily basis is we're looking at all of your email conversations, um, calendar appointments, uh, you know, um, social media posts, Excel spreadsheets, etc. And we can say, well, all right, well, Omer here, he is a potential client of mine. Um, every potential client I want to stay in touch with every six months. And it's been six months and three days since we last had any kind of communication. So that triggers contactually brain and says, wait a second, this is a relationship that's starting to go cold. I will get a notification in the morning saying, all right, you should talk to Omer today. Here's what you last spoke about here's an email template that you can use. Here's what he's talking about on social media. And then can actually assist with doing the most important thing, reaching back out and adding value. So Omer thinks of me the next time he needs a software developer. Does that make sense?
0: Totally. So you you take out a lot of the complexity because it's, because even if I have a some kind of product which reminds me about um, re-engaging with somebody. Um, there's still a lot to do, right? I mean, the biggest question is, okay, you've given me the reminder, but what do I actually talk to them about? Um, and so I love the way that you kind of describe kind of of bringing all together, this, all this information together and giving it to me in almost this sort of little crisp digest. And then from that, I can kind of figure out very easily where it makes sense to continue that conversation.
1: That sounds great. Exactly. Yeah. Who, who do I need to talk to? When do I need to talk to them? And what do I need to say?
0: Now, uh, when I, I when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, I read something there. So let me just read that out. Um, have bought, have brought contactually from idea in my Evernote to 60 employees and counting, was well, 70 and counting now, uh, millions in revenue, 12 million plus in venture backing, numerous awards and thousands of paying customers in SMB and mid-market. Um, The thing that struck me about that was what you wrote about from my idea in my Evernote. Do you, do you remember what you wrote down in Evernote when you were thinking of this idea?
1: Oh, absolutely. I still have that exact note in my Evernote. Um, when we and actually it's funny, uh, you know, funny that we're talking about this at this point in time because it was actually about five days ago, five years and five days ago that I wrote down I mean, May fifteenth, twenty eleven, that I wrote down the idea for what I called a proactive CRM, um, and. So we we have a strong sense of history and contextually, and serves a number of important purposes. So yeah, absolutely. And I sent an email to the team, and I kind of i i sent them out that exact Evernote. Um, so they see wow, like they see that the uh, that initial idea being written down, and then they can of course see and connect that initial idea with you know what we are now with, which is this massive, massive opportunity.
0: But when you wrote that. Down in Evernote, you didn't have a, a team. It was just you in those days, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I still have a practice of anytime I come up with a, a random idea for a company, um, I'll just quickly jot it down in Evernote. So when I first wrote that down, you know, I, I was still I was still running my own consulting firm. I had no idea when I was jotting that down that um here we would be today, you know, talking about, you know. 12 million in capital, millions in revenue, um, 70 employees uh, spending all day long doing something that I initially wrote down just kind of, you know, as I was walking to work one day.
0: So, yeah, I just, I just had this vision of people going out there and writing that stuff down in Evernote right now to, <laughs> to start building those <laughs> businesses. Um Okay. So let's, let's kind of, I want to explore that a little further. So you've got, you've, you've written this down. Did did you, was it just kind of like, I'm just capturing an idea or was it immediately like, this is something I need to start doing something about?
1: Oh, absolutely not. This was just, this was just an idea. Um, but it was an idea that we never kind of had any like Went from idea to like lightning moment. To, oh my God, this is going to be a multi billion dollar company. It was a it was a very slow burn initially. So for example, I wrote down I wrote down the idea. Then a couple weeks later, one of my engineers who's working for me at the time, he had some he had some extra bandwidth, and I said, you know what? I wrote down this idea. Why don't you build a little prototype this weekend? Right, just just go hack it out. And sure enough, he came back on Monday morning with the prototype for what would become Contactually. I was like, "All right, looks cool. Um, you know, let me you know, let me talk to some friends and kind of you know, talk to some people I know and CFO the whole idea of like relationships and a CRM and something that helps them proactively build." Build relationships if that's important. Okay, great, awesome, sounds good. Um, hey Jeff, you know, you know you're working for me. Uh, why don't you work with me and as a co-founder on this? And he said, Yeah, sure, why not? Um, and then you know, we said, All right, well, you know, neither of us are probably going to be that good at sales and marketing. Well, you know, I met this guy Tony, um, you know, who was just kind of trying to get more involved in startups. He had a good job, you know, had just left Microsoft as a PM. Um, why doesn't he help doing, do customer development? And it kind of just, again, you know, then all of a sudden it's three of us just kind of playing around with the idea a little bit here and there until all of a sudden, you know, uh, a, an accelerator came by and said, hey, well, we'll fund this idea and we want you to take it very seriously. And all of a sudden that was like, a, oh, whoa, you mean this is this can be a real thing? <laughs> and that's and the rest is history. So, yeah, but we actually kind of through that point, like we've been doing, yeah, we built the prototype, we'd started doing following kind of the lean startup principles, we'd done a lot of customer development. So I don't want to discredit anything we we're doing, but it's not like we kind of said, woke up one day and said, okay, cool, let's start a company. What do we want to start a company about? Oh, this there's this idea over here, let's do that. Um, it was just kind of this slow, kind of, you know, slow building of momentum, you know, and it's kind of continued up until now, you know, again, it's, you know, 70 people, you know, running as hard as they can.
0: How long did it take from the time you wrote down the idea to the point where you got approached by the, this accelerator? Uh, four months. Four months. Okay. Well, that's still not bad going. Absolutely. No, no,
1: I'm very thankful.
0: So what were you doing in those four months? Did, Did you have any users or customers during that time?
1: Uh, We didn't have customers, but we started to get users. Again, it it started being kind of friendly. So people I know and people I was familiar with, and then they brought on some other people. And then we were doing a lot of customer development, kind of reaching out to people who were talking about Relationships or CRM or sales kind of stuff, and uh, brought those brought those people on. So uh, we we didn't have that many, but we had like around probably around maybe one hundred and fifty users. But at the time, that was enough to kind of prove that like okay, there's something here. This isn't just like a junky little prototype.
0: Okay, so you've got the the accelerator involved. How much how much money did you guys? Uh, get to start working with, and and when they said you need to start taking this seriously, what did that mean? What what changed for you guys?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just that second point first because that's um, the most important thing. It, it was really it was a burn the boats moment. Um, you know, before this, contactually, I was being bootstrapped out of my previous company, which meant that. Three-quarters of my time was going to, towards my, quote, day job, you know, running my consulting firm. And a quarter of my time here and there was going to uh, doing customer development and a little bit of software development for Contactually. And that was the case for everyone else. Uh, but we, I kind of knew from previous experience that just kind of having, for me, like having a little side hustle and a side project I would never be able to get anything real off the ground because I was always too distracted by my main job. And so I was kind of in the back of my mind looking for some mechanism, some way of being able to, again, you know, to, you know, to use kind of this line, um, to burn the boats and kind of force ourselves to say, all right, we are all in on this. And it happened to, be, it had happened to come in the form of, a, uh, of an accelerator deal.
0: Okay. And, and how much money did they, did you guys raise with them? Uh, 50K. Okay. So that gave you, um, so, so what, what did that mean? Did you, did you stop working on the consulting completely and, and start working on this full time, this idea?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, we kind of got the offer, for to join 500 startups back in i would say like the first week of october in 2011 uh the comp we uh, we made the decision um shut down my company you know uh, you know basically handed off all of my clients to other people um tony my co- tony our third co-founder quit his job and the company was officially incorporated october 11th 2011
0: Okay, great. Okay, so you you are now full time on this business. You've got about 150 users. Um, how, how did you use the 50k? What were you? Was that fo- mostly focused on on trying to acquire more customers?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, initially, we weren't using it. Um, we were kind of letting it sit in the bank because we frankly didn't necessarily necessarily need it. We we knew that we would want to eventually pay ourselves salary, eventually pay you know hire a couple employees and start paying them. Um, so it was really we are just laser focused on um, you know on basically doing the three things a company needs to do in its early days. Um, one acquire customers, which is what Tony was doing. He was doing a lot of customer research and initial marketing, um, build a product. So Jeff, my co-founder and CTO, he was building the product. And then myself, being be, who took the CEO title, I was focused on fundraising. I knew we would na- need to raise a few hundred K initially to start kind of really kind of, again, hiring the team and getting the business off the ground. And so I threw myself into fundraising, um, having never done it before.
0: Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupas has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with Bupos.com. Okay, let's, let's talk... Uh a, a little bit more about what you were doing to acquire customers. Do you remember Absolutely. the first customer that you got?
1: Well, the first customer that like wasn't, you know, myself or my mom's credit card. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Well, I think the magic of, to me, the magic of Lean Startup is you can phase into it, which meant that there wasn't like at one point we went kind of from zero to like having 500 customers. What we initially started doing is we first were just doing customer development calls, right? Just talking to people, trying to like figure out what they're interested in. Through those conversations, they would sign up for a trial. My friends would sign up for a trial. We got a little pre- bit of press here and there. We had people signing up for our free product. And then we said, well, let's kind of start to see if th- there can be a business here. So we're not going to charge customers yet, but we're going to show them the pricing page. Let's just kind of come up with a pricing page and have them pick a plan. Now we're not going to charge, but like we'll at least see, you know, what people are willing to pay, and if people are willing to pay, yeah, you know, we can see the number of people who, even though we say it's free for now, you know, they would still choose the free pre- the free plan versus the premium plan. Um, so we started doing that, and then we said, all right, great. Well, we have people doing this. Why don't we let them? optionally pay us, right? Meaning that you don't have to pay us, but we're going to add a credit card page in. Um, and then, of course, you know, we had a couple of people kind of say like, oh, well, yeah, okay, looks like Kint- actually is charging me money let me like yo let me yo let me throw down my credit card and we kind of got again the initial kind of couple thousand people that way and then we then forced all people who once their trial was over to pay us pay us with a credit card and kind of went from there and again it's not like kind of yo know, an overnight flip we just slowly rolled in and as we were learning and learning we went from learning if people wanted a product like this to learning how much people were willing to pay to learning if people were going to pay to learning Okay, we're now actually going to force people to pay. Will they pay? And uh, then the rest of history. Now we still iterate. We still test. Okay, well, people are are people going to be willing to pay us more money? So we've raised our prices from fifteen dollars a month to sixty dollars a month because we're always iterating on that core on those core principles.
0: That's really interesting. So, so going back to the first um, uh, point you made about checking, just testing to see if people would pay. And so I just want to kind of understand that experience a little bit. So when people came to sign up, they would see a pricing page. Um, They would see a free plan and there was some paid plans and they could select which plan they wanted. But you were kind of telling them, you're not going to have to pay anything right now because we're in beta or whatever. Um, But eventually this is how much the plan is going to be.
1: Was, was exactly okay. And, and that and that was really helpful, right? Because we we were at the end of the day, you know, our belief and you know, some people in Silicon Valley kind of push back against us or have pushed back, you know, if you're a fan of the freemium model, for example. Um, I wanted to make sure that we we're building a business. And what does a business need? Well, it needs people that will pay for the product, which means that you need to ensure that you're building the right features that people will pay for and that you're going after the types of customers or potential customers that you know that would pay for the product. So by having a pricing page for example, we we're able to see, you know, the people who you know, even though it was a free product, the moment they saw the pricing page, they had bounced off. Okay, great. We learned those are not the type of people we want. And by testing out what features we list on the pricing page, and uh, and then doing uh, customer interviews after that, we we're able to figure out well what features do people need that they'll pay for.
0: That's really interesting. So you mentioned like you were getting like several thousand people coming in through this way. Uh, I'm curious what you were doing to reach those people, because initially it sounds like you could just go to your own network and and reach out to friends and, and people that way. Um, but beyond that, how did you start reaching out to people that you didn't
1: know? Yeah, it's a great question. So initially what we were doing is we obviously we had friends and friends of friends and friends of friends of friends. You know, that kind of stuff that happens we did both through the accelerator and then just through hard work um, we got a little bit of press so which means you know when we raised our first round first couple of rounds of capital we were able to get in TechCrunch and others that of course sends people to your site we also started finding like bloggers who would be willing to write about us so we started doing that uh, we were big users of quora early on so you know, you know one of the cool things about quora is you know if you're building a CRM product great go on quora and find anyone talking about CRM and message them right and and uh, and say like hey I'm building a CRM we, we did a little bit of experimentation with SEO and that's probably one of the bigger failings that we didn't take it more seriously early on um, but like that brought in some customers and a little bit of experimentation here and there, but is really kind of making sure that like the, the influencers knew about us and then we were doing everything we could to once we kind of had someone visiting our site that we did everything we could to try and convert them into a customer.
0: Okay, got it. Um, okay, so th- let's talk a little bit about the product. Now, I, one one of the things that I think is, is quite is- interesting is that a lot of the times you'll see a founder come up with an idea on how to solve a a specific problem, and then they go and build the product. But once you have real people starting to use it, and you start to, especially if you're doing um, customer development type interviews and getting feedback, you often get a lot of surprises in terms of what you thought people wanted and what they actually want. Were, were there any surprises for you um that that sort of came out from talking to customers or potential customers
1: oh absolutely the uh the initial product we built people hate (laughs) it like (laughs) truly truly hate it i mean and now you know even as i kind of think back to it the the product that we had built was so terrible um in terms of like the the feature concept but I'm thankful, and people kind of still will. Once people who know, who know about the history will still laugh at me once in a while, kind of say like, "Oh my god, that's such a terrible idea," and I'll throw it back in their face and say, "You know what? I don't care because that allowed us to learn what we should build." So, for example, the very first version of the product, the main thing it did is that whenever it detected you emailing someone that it didn't know, it would send you an email saying, hey, tell us more about this person, and you would respond via email to that email, saying, hey, yo, here are some more details about that person, and then we would save it. People hated that. They found so annoying. But what they said is, well, I really like that you're actually capturing all of the people I'm communicating with via email. There are also people I'm communicating with via social media. Um, and you know, the most important thing that I want is... I want to make sure I'm staying in touch with these people. I'm not just capturing these people. I'm staying in touch. And we said, okay, cool, we can do something like that. We kind of built again, built out something that would, you know, if we noticed, uh, you know, if we noticed you hadn't emailed someone in three weeks, we would send you a notification saying, "Hey, talk to this person." And people hated that. They hated because we were reminding them to follow up with people that they didn't care about. And then we kind of did some more customer development, and then. There were a couple, you know, a couple potential customers early on who said, "You know what? The thing that you're missing out is that not all of the people that I'm communicating with, I want to stay in touch with. I have certain groups of people, certain quote buckets of people that are important for me, and that now is a core driving part of our product. Like, yo, know, and we wouldn't have gotten there without." being open-minded to the fact that, you know, our idea, you know, that our initial concept could suck and maintaining open mind to what else may work and what else we may learn from customers. So I credit a hundred percent of our company's success, um, or products, product market fit to, uh, to our users.
0: Oh, I see. So, so in the early days, if, if I had, um, I don't know, a thousand contacts, you were reminding me about, all of them at some point to say, okay. And then you sort of filtered it down and said, okay, maybe there's just the top five or 20% of my contacts that I need to probably stay in touch with and kind of became more sophisticated that way.
1: Exactly. Like we really learned that, People are comfortable and, and willing to kind of segment their relationships on their own. Um, and then from there, then make sure that you're staying in touch with the right people, um, not everyone. And that was a key learning that we had not thought of otherwise.
0: So I'm curious what the reaction was when you told people that we have this this product. Um, you know, earlier we talked about um, sort of a, a, a very crowded CRM market. Um, but from what I understand, although from what I understand from some of the numbers that I've come across, it's, it's, there's still huge potential and growth in, in this space. But I'm just curious when you, when you, con- you approached people about this, weren't there people just saying, thanks, but I'm already using something else?
1: Um, They would not. Not that often. Oftentimes, and I think one of the biggest, bigger opportunities we have is that CRM, while it's one of the largest overall IT expenditures, it's still a fraction of the size that it could be. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the people that are using Contaxion now, their previous CRM was an Excel spreadsheet or a stack of business cards on Hmm. their desk. So we haven't really had the same kind of product competition. From a market perspective, like when talking to investors or talking to press or talking to influencers, distinguishing ourselves from every other CRM on the market, that's actually something that we struggled so much with early on. And honestly, it's still a struggle today. You know, it's still something that we're working on figuring out how do we, we know we're different, our users know we're different, we're different but how do we like, oh, on, almost on like on a one-liner basis, you know, make sure that we're completely distinguished from every other CRM on the market or almost figure out a way where we can bypass that conversation together. Like the moment they learned about Contactually, they see it's a completely different product.
0: Okay. So so that's interesting because it sounds like if you get, you know, if you, if you can sit with somebody, give them a demo of the product or, or show them what it does, they get it instantly in terms of how the product is different and how it can help them. But it's not always that easy, to, as you said, to sort of just explain that in, in a, in a few words.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So the one thing that, you know, I, if I were to go back in time, I would have done a lot more work very early on is to really work on our messaging and positioning. Um, That's one of the things like we always kind of said, yeah, we know we need to, and we never did.
0: Tell tell me a little bit more about that. Like, is, is that you seem to have a great success story, right? Going from, from an idea you wrote down in Evernote, just over five years ago to a multi-million dollar business, it sounds like you didn't really need to do any of that stuff. So why do you feel that that was something that you look back and feel you should have done a better job at?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of, one of the jokes is, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, we're doing incredibly well in spite of ourselves, right? <laughs> or that, you know, we're making just the right amount of mistakes to get us to where we are today. Um yeah, I mean, listen, we have, I, don't get me wrong, we have a lot to be thankful for. And as you kind of see, like one of our core values is transparency. And so we care a lot about company culture. And so that's kind of one of the things being exhibited here. I would say that, yeah, I mean, we we definitely have had issues in the past where we, if you were to go around to, let's say, the 20 employees I had at the time or 30 employees I had at the time and ask them, what is contactually, you would get 30 different responses, Hmm. And I think it even kind of it, and I think the reason is because top down, I didn't even have a clear definition of what contact you was. You know, I would kind of keep re- rephrasing it every single time someone spoke to me, or people go to our website and they don't really get what it is that we do, but it's enough to get them interested, and they would kind of see our demo, see our products, start using it, and go, "Oh my god, wow." why didn't you explain this on your website? Why didn't you tell us what this is? <laughs> um, and, and that's honestly still messaging, still something we struggle with. You know, I still, we still look at our website and I think we're better than ever, but we still know there's so much opportunity to better explain what on earth can actually is and what is the value it provides to people.
0: So we've talked about multimillion dollar revenue. Can you give us a, a better idea of, of kind of where you guys are? What's the size of the business?
1: yeah absolutely so uh i can give rough nu- as transparent as we are i can give rough numbers uh we're well above 2 million revenue and we're well on the way to 10 million revenue um so we're in that kind of if you read jason Lem anybody anything by jason jason lemkin we're on kind of the long slow climb to uh 10 million ARR. Uh that's a nice chunk of change yeah we have a lot, a lot to be thankful for
0: yeah totally um so, so we talked about the messaging and the positioning, and 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 I'm if it's something that you you're struggling with or right now as well, then I'm not sure that maybe it would have been as any easier to solve in the early days. But is there anything else that you sort of think about and just say I if I wish I had done this back in the first year of building this business because it would have just avoided. Um some pain down the road?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think one of the core things is focus um to start off with. You know, meaning that entrepreneurs, you know, because of the way that we're built, we're always attracted kind of the next shiny object. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's good to always keep your eyes open. But if you're not actively maintaining things and really focusing on like what you think will work and then committing to it and following through, you have a big problem. So for example, you know, we know that SEO is or could have been a large growth opportunity for us. And it's again something only now we're taking very seriously. But we'd started to because we had heard so much that SEO was an important thing. We started to like do all this SEO stuff five years ago. But we just kind of dropped it because we said, "Oh, well, let's let's try something else instead." And if we had committed to, we probably would be in a much better place now. So that's one example. I think the, the thing that you know I hope I'm able to provide to every software entrepreneur listening is, you know, obviously I'm assuming Omer, you've talked to uh, everything, you you've talked multiple times about MVPs on this podcast, right? Sure. An MVP, the key lesson for me that I wish I would able to go back to 2011's v and slap him in the head uh, <laughs> and educate him about is an MVP doesn't necessarily mean it has to be buggy software. It has to be a minimal version of what you want to build, which meant that instead of let's say building out one feature of our eventual platform and doing but doing it really really well we built 15 things but we built them all kind of well meaning that they you know it's kind of like almost like you know build buying like building a car but only building them building it with three wheels and those three wheels actually happen to be squares (laughs) Um, you know that's kind of like what we ended up doing so it kind of like we had a yes it, it proved that people wanted something like this but it didn't really work that well. And that kind of issue that like plagued us for years. And it's only kind of now, you know, over the past couple of years that we've started now like regularly producing a high quality product. Cause in our thirst to learn, we had this, you know, you've probably heard the Facebook mantra of move fast and break things. Mm-hmm. That actually is a bad idea, I'll be completely honest. Because what you're doing is you're kind of teaching yourself to go and build junky software that may prove that yes, okay, people want something like this, but it won't work. And so I would say you should really focus on not trying to build everything, building a few things, but making sure those few things work and work really, really well.
0: So I think that's really, really good advice. And I think probably people have have heard that or kind of know that to to some degree. But it's still not easy to do. And I think the, the, the fear is that if I go to my potential customers and I show them a product with one feature, they're not going to be interested. And if I can put in 15 features, which show them a whole bunch of things that this product can do, they're more likely to want to buy my product. And I think that sounds like the the kind of the same dilemma that you guys got into when you were building your your MVP. So, what advice would you give to somebody who's maybe struggling right now to pick that one feature?
1: Absolutely, I would. I would probably argue it can always be distilled down. It may not be one feature. Maybe it's two or three. Um, maybe it is something that you know it. You can't really follow the lean startup principles, and it really has to be fifteen features, but. For heaven's sake, do not repeat the same mistake we did. Make sure that what you're doing works and works really well. You know, you could probably simplify it down and you know you'll want to add every other option and bells and whistles later on down the line. But so you can still, you know, even if it's a, a larger number of features, you can still boil it down to the core, you know, the core functionality you want you want to get across in those features but make sure they work really well. You know, don't build a car with square wheels.
0: (laughs) Excellent advice. All right, it's uh, time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I'd like you to answer them just as quickly as you can.
1: Ready? Let's do it.
0: All right. What's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received?
1: You will receive tons and tons of data points and pieces of advice throughout your entrepreneurial journey. And the core thing a CEO needs to do is sort through all those pieces of advice and figure out, which ones they follow and which ones they don't.
0: What book would you recommend to our audience and why?
1: Most recently, the book that's really inspired me is Bill Walsh's The Score Takes Care of Itself. Um, It really teaches about excellence and leadership.
0: What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur?
1: I believe it's the ability that to no matter what, no matter if they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing, to always have a bias for action.
0: What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit?
1: Every day I start off my day with a blank piece of paper upon which I write every single thing I'm supposed to do that day. And I do just that.
0: Um, Going back to your Evernote, what's another business idea that you wrote down that you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time?
1: Oh man. Um, I really like the whole, uh, uh the whole, it's kind of a consumer idea. I really like the whole idea of, you know, with digital cameras, we're taking out, we're taking so many pictures, but as we know, you know, doing post-production and cleaning them up is important. So I would do post-production and photo curation as a service.
0: Nice. Uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know?
1: Uh I was in the San Diego County um spelling bee and I got kicked I got um kicked out in one of the final rounds because the judge mistook sorbet for sherbet and I spelled the wrong word.
0: <laughs> and finally what, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work?
1: So I, beyond my obnoxious cocker spaniel and my lovely wife, um, I am a big proponent of the local DC tech community, and I actually run one of the largest tech meetups in the country uh, right here in DC.
0: Nice, Zvi, I want to thank you for joining me today. It's been awesome. I know, I know you've been traveling. You were on a red eye recently. Um, We were exchanging mails at at two two a.m. in well, it was two a.m. in the morning for you. It was only eleven p.m. for me. Um, So I appreciate you making the time and, and sort of turning up here with so much energy and enthusiasm and sharing, uh, sharing the story of Contactually, um, if if folks want to find out more about the product, they can go to contactually.com. And if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: They can follow me on Twitter, S-K-E-E-V-I-S. So that's skeevis, or they can visit my blog, uh, Z-V-I dot B-A-N-D.
0: Wonderful. Thank you again. Uh, It's been a pleasure and uh, I wish you all
1: the best. Omar, thanks so much for having me.
0: Cheers. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? boopos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupas, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupas makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash BUPOS. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? you've been missing. That's the sastoolkit.com.